passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This episode, episode 182, for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network, is brought to you by Bet Online. Basketball is back. Basketball is back in a big way, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs NBA, NFL, World Series, fights, you name it. Bet Online has you covered. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Head to betonline.ag today. Receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAV. That's B-L-E-A-V. That's the promo code to receive your 50% welcome bonus in your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts with that said. Episode 182. I'm fired up about this one. Let's get this work. You know what it is, episode 182 for the love of the game with yours truly, Aaron Tobin has ATH back in the saddle, back behind the mic. It is Tuesday evening and I'm fired up. I'm fired up. A lot happened this weekend and let's just say I have a lot on my mind. I have a lot of things to say. I have a lot to get off my chest. We are going to have a recurring guest, Mr. Shai Elberger, one of my favorite recurring guests to talk about the New York Giants and the NFL as a whole as the Giants go into their bye week, 6-2, and two, which if you asked any Giant fan before the season started, myself very much included, it would seem absolutely inconceivable that that would be the case, but... Here we are. So let's start with the local NFL teams in town right now, and then we'll make our way down through the rundown of topics before we bring Shy on. As I just mentioned, the Giants, 6-2, and two, lost a game in Seattle 27-13. to 13. They were thoroughly outplayed in this game. I mean, Geno Smith moved the ball great. The Seattle running backs, whether it was uh, the rookie or it was – Travis Homer were able to run the ball on the Giants. They were thoroughly outplayed. 
And even still, the Giants were tied with the Seahawks on the road after traveling to London, to Jacksonville, and then to Seattle in consecutive weeks. They were tied at 13 midway through the fourth quarter. Tyler Lockett, who kind of gifted them a touchdown by fumbling. Saquon Barkley cashed in, then dropped an easy one. Great throw by Geno Smith, by the way, who has to be the surprise of the league. I mean, that Geno Smith, who has bounced around from the Jets to the Giants to the Chargers to being Russell Wilson's backup in Seattle, suddenly playing like one of the five best quarterbacks in football right now. That's not hyperbole, by the way. Uh, statistically, go look at the numbers. They all point to top five besides for Mahomes, Burrow, and Josh Allen, obviously. Who's playing better than Geno Smith at the quarterback position? You really can't tell me anybody definitively is better than him right now. But anyway, so the Giants are tied 13-all. Lockett gets in the end zone after dropping one, but the Giants were still in it. And Richie James, shout out to him. He had himself a Sunday, fumbled twice, fumbled two punts, returning punts, and the Giants end up losing 27-13. to Listen. Would you have liked to have gone into the bye winning a game where you could have won? Yes. But were they outplayed, and did they deserve to win that game? No. Daniel Jones did not have a good day. Uh, really not a good day. He was good on third down, though. Third and long, he was good, but he didn't make any plays. It was just one of those games. Now, I don't want Sunday's game to diminish all the good vibes in giant land right now because i don't think that's accurate six and two is six and two with the way the nfc looks they are in a great position to make the playoffs even if they go nine and eight which i think is very doable i think ten and seven is doable i think they're gonna get a playoff spot which is crazy to say considering where i thought the team was going into the year but tough loss for the giants i think they'll bounce back the run defense needs to be a little bit better Daniel Jones obviously can't play like he did on Sunday the rest of the way, but I think the Giants should feel good going into the bye. And then there's the New York Jets. Also a surprise, 5-3, and three, but the vibes are not very good. And that is for a couple of reasons, but the big reason is the play of Zach Wilson on Sunday. The Jets lost 22-17 to to the New England Patriots. It wasn't that close. There was a lot of garbage time stats for Zach Wilson as he threw three interceptions. Two of them were absolutely atrocious. Again, this is a Patriots team that's not very good. Probably won't win nine games. It's not a good Patriots team. Tom Brady's not walking through that door for the Patriots. Mac Jones was really bad and has been all year. And even still, the Jets could not beat the New England Patriots at home. Even this Patriots team. It's not very good. Not very good. And Zach Wilson has not shown any progress of getting better and getting smarter. He had flashes in the Pittsburgh game, but since then he hasn't done anything. And yeah, you can chalk it up against Denver to Denver having a really good defense, and he still managed the game. Got them a win, fine. But 
this past Sunday was a disaster for Zach Wilson and was the worst case scenario if you're a Jets fan right now. Obviously, the injuries to Brees Hall, Elijah Vera Tucker are huge. Huge. It's your best offensive lineman, your best player on offense. But Zach Wilson cannot look that bad. He can. He was under 50% completion percentage. Okay, I know he had 350 yards, two TDs, but a lot of that was garbage time. And then after the game, after he threw those three interceptions, two of them were horrific, saying that he got bored of, th- you know, rolling out and scrambling, got bored of throwing the ball away. Well, if you had thrown the ball away three more times, you wouldn't have thrown those interceptions, and you may have won the game. Yes, the Jets got a pick six that was called back due to a roughing the passer. Yes, that happened. Would it have changed the tenor of the game? Yes. But that's not why they lost the game. They lost the game because Zach Wilson threw that game away in the last two and a half quarters. Absolutely disgusting. And yeah, the Jets are five and three. But the vibes in Jets land are bad right now. And rightfully so because Zach Wilson... There are real questions now whether he has the chops. You haven't really seen it much this year. Again, aside for the flashes in the Pittsburgh game, coming back to win against the Pittsburgh team, that's horrific, by the way. What have you really seen from Zach Wilson to make you confident in his ability to be the long-term answer for the quarterback for the New York Jets? It seems to be like the same song and dance with the New York Jets. Year in and year out, like we've seen this before, they have a nice roster around Zach Wilson. The defensive line's really good. Sauce Gardner is one of the five best corners. Their secondary overall is pretty good. Some nice pieces on the offensive line. I mentioned Elijah Barrett-Tucker. Brees Hall's good. Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver, good. Elijah Moore, well, they need to figure out that situation because he seems disgruntled, but he's talented. Like, The general manager for the Jets, Joe Douglas, has done a good job. But they're still missing the most important piece to the chessboard, and that is the quarterback. And I'm not really sure Zach Wilson's the guy. And I know the Jets are 5-3 and right now, but this season can snowball for them and go downhill really, really fast. And I actually think that that's going to be the case. All right, a couple of NFL thoughts, uh, thoughts from around the league. A couple of things I noticed on Sunday and uh, and Monday night. Well, the Buffalo Bills are by far the best team in the league. By far the best team in the league. They didn't even play well. Like, if you would have said that Aaron Rodgers would pass for the yardage that he passed for, for the completion percentage that he had, you would think that the Packers would probably be in a pretty good position to win. And the Bills dominated that game. Basically the entire game until they started to play with their food at the end when they didn't really care anymore. And still won by 10. I mean, that game was not nearly as close as the 27-17 score indicated. And Josh Allen, yay through the bullshit picks at the end of the game, but he's just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. The Bills are the best team in the league. I'm not really sure who's... Second, I mean, probably the Chiefs if I had to pick, but there seems to be a major drop-off between the Bills and the rest of the league. And this past weekend 
was another example of that. The other thing I know is sticking with the AFC East, the Miami Dolphins are are good. They're really good. They're probably the third best team in the AFC. And Tua Tungavailoa is a major reason why. Tua is 11 and 2 in his last 13 starts, okay? He's accurate. He's throwing the deep ball well. Yeah, it helps to have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, but Tua is making all the throws. He is. Now, you could say against the Patriots, he had a couple of almost interceptions. Or not against the Patriots. It was against, I forget who they played the week after he got back from the concussion. But he didn't look great. But other than that, he's been really good. Really, really good. And when he's healthy, the Dolphins win. And that was before Tyreek Hill got there. I mean, seriously, this season, how many quarterbacks can you definitively say are better than Tua? Allen Mahomes, Joe Burrow. Other than that, can you make a case, a definitive case for anybody? I'm not so sure. I've been a big Tua believer, and I'm just so happy for him right now that he's playing well. Uh, you got to trust the pedigree. Like, this guy was great going into college. He was great in college. And guys of that pedigree, you have to assume, are going to be awesome. Like, he's been awesome at every step. So I've always been a Tua guy, and he doesn't get the respect around the league and around NFL, you know, groupthink in the media or on Twitter or whatever. He doesn't get the respect he deserves. And I'm here to put some respect on Tua Tungavalo's name. Uh, he's awesome. The quarterback play as a whole, though, this NFL season, we're going to talk about with this with Shai Elberger, is not very good. Just, and it was more of that this week. I, I can't even understand it. Again, we'll get into that a little bit. So week nine picks against the spread. I was three and two again in week eight, bring my record to 19 and 21. It was looking really good. Really, really good. And then the Bengals really hurt my feelings on Monday night. The Giants hurt my feelings. And that's how you result in three and two. But three straight winning weeks. We like that trend. We're trending upwards. So here we go. Week nine's picks against the spread. Number one, I just mentioned them. Tua Tungavaloa and the Miami Dolphins are minus five. Minus five against the Detroit Lions in Detroit. I know earlier in the year I said the Detroit Lions every week because they seem to cover every week. Well, not so much. So we're going to go back to the well with the Miami Dolphins. Minus five, even though it's on the road, I feel good about it. Dolphins minus five is the first pick of the week. Second, we've got the Atlanta Falcons. Plus three against the L.A. Chargers at home. Home underdogs generally do well. The Falcons have covered the spread every week but one this season so far. And why should the Chargers be getting respect on the road? I don't understand that. Falcons plus three. At three, I've got the Washington Commanders, led by Taylor Heineke, who are somehow 500, which is crazy. Uh, the NFC East, which projected to be a terrible division going into the year, has the most wins out of any division. Go figure. They are three-and-a-half-point 
home underdogs against the six and one Vikings. I'm not buying the Vikings. I just am not. So I'm going to take the home underdog again. At four, the Buffalo Bills minus 13 against the Jets. I know the Jets are at home. Don't care. I know the number is huge. Don't care. No Brees Hall. No Verrett Tucker. The Bills are awesome. I'm just going to be prepared to lay the wood. Josh Allen is going to dominate. And the Bills defense, which is good. They've got a great front. You know, Von Miller has been really, really good. Ed Oliver has been good. So I like the Bills minus 13. And at five, I'm going to take the Seattle Seahawks plus two against the Arizona Cardinals. I know they're on the road, but why should the Arizona Cardinals be getting respect here? On a neutral field, would the Arizona Cardinals be one-point underdogs to a five and three Seahawks teams that's training upwards? I don't think so. So I'm going to take the Seahawks here plus two. So again, Dolphins minus five, Falcons plus three, Commanders plus three and a half, Bills minus 13, Seahawks plus two. Those are the week nine's picks against the spread. Moving on to NBA, and I'm sure you're all expecting me to talk about a certain topic. We'll get to that in a second. But I want to start off with the New York Knicks. First six games, Knicks are three and three. It's about what expectations are. They've beaten up on bad teams, even though I think Detroit and Orlando by the end of the year are going to be better than what their record shows right now. And they've lost to good teams. Jalen Brunson has been a breath of fresh air, but as I said last episode, you can clearly see he's a floor raiser, but not a ceiling raiser. That's not his fault. It's just the way it is. And he's been very good this year. So the Knicks played the Cleveland Cavaliers on Sunday. Donovan Mitchell, who should have been a member of the New York Knicks. Again, I was on record. I said, trade RJ Barrett, trade the picks, go get this guy, Donovan Mitchell, because he's awesome. I predicted on Twitter before the game started, I said, watch Donovan Mitchell go for 40 against the Knicks because he's started off the season great for the Cavs. The Cavs look like a really dynamite team. And that's even without Darius Garland, who's going to make a huge difference. The Knicks had a lead going into the fourth quarter. Brunson was solid. The team played solid. But Donovan Mitchell put 38 points and 12 assists on their head. Kevin Love was great, too. Dean Wade was great. They shot the lights out from three. But Donovan Mitchell showed you in that game just why I said it was imperative for the Knicks to trade R.J. Barrett and stuff for Donovan Mitchell. Was proven correct because there's nobody on this Knicks roster who is capable of doing anything remotely close to what Donovan Mitchell did on Sunday. He made every big play. He was dynamic offensively, had huge block shots, and is playing better defense than he has in years. That's why you go get that guy because he's 26 years old and an all-NBA caliber player and will probably make an all-NBA team this year. It was there for the taking for the New York Knicks. It was there for the taking. I know I shouldn't still be mad about it, but I am. The Knicks are just stale. It's stale. Even with Jalen Brunson, it's stale. This team is going nowhere. And what I mean by that is they're just going to be mediocre or slightly below mediocre. What's the point? What's the point of this roster right now? 
Obi Toppin is wasting away behind Julius Randle. And Julius Randle has actually played okay. But why is he here? Why is Evan Fournier here? It doesn't make any sense. Makes no sense. And the Knicks deserved Sunday. They deserved it. Because Mitchell was there for the taken. He said so himself on the J.J. Redick podcast. He was all ready to be a Nick. And they fumbled the bag. Just, it is what it is. Don't, Knicks fans, don't get too crazy about this season. Because it's not, if you're expecting mid-40s wins and a six seed, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. It's a stale roster. And there was a big-time fix that could have happened in the offseason, and they chose not to do it. They played with their food, they pussyfooted around, and now it's going to come back to bite them in the ass. But the New York Knicks are actually the stable franchise in the tri-state area because the Brooklyn Nets are a complete disaster. Okay? And we'll get to Kyrie Irving and all of his stupidity in a second, but the Brooklyn Nets are two and five going into tonight. They play the Bulls. I assume that they're going to be two and six. Decided that they were going to fire Steve Nash today. Okay, was Steve Nash the greatest coach in the world? No. But I can tell you this, Steve Nash wasn't the problem. Wasn't the problem. When you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving calling the shots, it seems like it's not going to be a formula for success. But... Steve Nash was scapegoated by the Nets. That's just the bottom line. Steve Nash was too classy for the Nets. Absolutely too classy for the Nets. I know they said it was mutual, which normally anytime it says it was a mutual decision, it's just that he got fired. But given the whole Kyrie Irving mess off the court, I actually tend to believe it may have been more mutual than you would think in this scenario. So Steve Nash is out. And what do the Nets do on the heels of Kyrie Irving basically having a temper tantrum in a post-game press conference when Nick Friedle has the gall to ask him about him sharing a tweet linking to a movie on Amazon Prime that was extremely anti-Semitic, and Kyrie Irving has a history of being anti-Semitic before, but we'll get to him in a second. So... Anyway, Steve Nash, no longer with the Brooklyn Nets. They decide to hire Ime Udoka. That same Ime Udoka who was suspended for the year by the Celtics for misconduct. Now, again, given what came out, did he maybe deserve to be suspended? Whatever, not getting into that. But the PR situation is the Brooklyn Nets decided to hire a coach that is serving or I should say, are looking to hire a coach, because I don't think it's official yet, that they're looking to hire a coach who's suspended for the season by another team who's still under suspension to coach the team. I mean, just incredible. Wild times with the Nets. Just incredible. So that could happen to a better organization. Those fucking losers. They're the worst organization in the NBA. They're corny. They're run poorly. This is what happens when you turn your 
franchise over to two guys with very mercurial personalities. Just put it that way. And I'll close on this because I alluded to it a little bit before, but I'll close on this with Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving, I never liked the guy. I always thought he was a jackass. Anytime you constantly act like you're the smartest guy in the room, you're generally the dumbest guy in the room, and that's him. I knew that he had a history of being anti-Semitic. It's come out before. This just, what happened this past weekend, just solidifies that for me. And the contradictory press conference saying that he has this large platform to uplift his community. And then he says, well, if I share something on my social media, that's not an endorsement. I mean, he's such an idiot. Like, of course, it's an endorsement. Of course, it's promoting. When I share something on my social media, and I don't have the presence that Kyrie Irving has, I'm promoting myself. That's what I'm doing. When you share something, it's promoting it, which means that you condone it. So Kyrie Irving could try and walk it back all he wants. I don't think he's really doing a good job trying to walk it back. But this is this goes beyond Kyrie Irving at this point. Because I think he's an asshole with genuine hate in his heart and fine. But now it's on the Brooklyn Nets to do something about it. And it's on the NBA to do something about it. And before recording this, because the TNT guys, Kenny, Charles, Ernie, Shaq, are still the most important show when it comes to talking about the NBA still to this day. And kudos to them for just inking contract extensions. I was really curious to see what they had to say about it because I knew they were going to talk about it. And the pain in Ernie Johnson's voice talking about this, as a Jewish guy, I really appreciate it. And then Shaq talks about it. There was pain in his voice too. I appreciate it. And then Charles Barkley goes on to say that the NBA should have fined Kyrie Irving, which they did. They fined Anthony Edwards for making a homophobic slur earlier this year. Nothing about Kyrie Irving. The NBA, which has been the progressive league, which is against all different types of discrimination and hatred. There was a press conference by the NBA and the NBA PA. No fines levied. Adam Silver, who happens to be a Jewish guy too. No, nothing. And then the Nets don't make Kyrie Irving available for the press to make him squirm in front of the press after acting like a shithead. So it's on the Nets and it's on the NBA to do something about it. As Charles Barkley eloquently said, it's too late now. The NBA dropped the ball. It's too late because he's right. Now, if they do something, they're succumbing to pressure. They should have been proactive about this like they would have been if it was another group of people who were discriminated against. So not all discrimination is created equal, according to the NBA, who happens to be run by a Jewish guy. I know this might not sound super PC, but it's true. Adam Silver is just a boot-licking idiot who is pandering to the majority of his players. 
Adam Silver, for the large part of his tenure of NBA commissioner, has done nothing but hurt the league. For a guy who's extolled on social media for being such a great commissioner, Adam Silver is anything but. And Charles Barkley was right to call him out on it. And he's got to call out the Nets too. It's on the Nets as an organization too. It's not enough that Joe Sy tweets condemning Kyrie Irving. I mean, Anthony Edwards was just fine before. I mean, guys have been fine for saying a lot worse and and promoting a lot worse. It's incredible for a league, again, that has made its bones on this reputation about being the progressive league and the anti-hate league. Sure doesn't seem that way. And then the Nets don't make Kyrie Irving available for the press tonight because they need the situation to calm down a little bit. Kyrie Irving should be forced to get up in front of a microphone and talk. Should be forced to have to answer tough questions. Well, shame on him, but I don't expect anything from him because he's an idiot. Shame on the Nets and shame on Adam Silver. I thought all prejudice was created equal. To the NBA, apparently it's not. And kudos to those kids in last night's game sitting courtside with the Fight the Anti-Semitism t-shirts and you had the great photo op of Kyrie Irving standing in front of them. That was just awesome. So kudos to them. Kyrie Irving, go fuck yourself, all right? I didn't need an extra reason to hate the guy, but I have it. I didn't need an extra reason to hate the Nets, but I have it. That's all I got on that one. And Adam Silver, you really dropped the ball, and and you're largely useless as the NBA commissioner. Anyway, with that said, we're going to bring on recurring guest Shai Elberger. We're going to change the vibe up. Talk about the Giants being 6-2 and two going into their bye week. We're midway point of the NFL season, so we got to recap our preview show, what we got right, what we got wrong. We're going to talk about him in just a matter of moments. I mentioned it in the monologue. We're at the halfway point. The Giants are on a bye. The 6-2 and two New York Giants are on a bye, so I obviously had to have him on. Shai Elberger is back to talk a little Giants in the NFL. Shai, how you feeling, bud? How you doing? 6-2, and two, pretty good. Still third place in the division, unfortunately. But uh, I I can't say that I predicted six and two when we when we spoke even after uh, I think we spoke after did we do two and zero oh, or have we not spoken since before the season even we I think spoke we did after week one week, where we were excited that they actually got a win got um, so just week week one, one because. They generally have had a history of starting out 0-2 basically every single season since 2016. Right. And right. so there was just a little bit of excitement, but we haven't spoken since then. A little crazy. Yeah, and I remember saying if they started 4-0, I'll come on again. But they obviously lost to Dallas. Um, but it's been it's been pretty good overall. Can't complain. So before we get into the Giants, just a quick question for you. Why does this season suck so bad, and how do you still enjoy it, watching the league as a whole? I First of all, I feel like you have the same take every season after week eight. You're like, this is the worst season of all time. The, no, but this actually may be the worst <laughs> season of all time. I prefer where there's not – like there's three basically elite teams, the Eagles, Chiefs, and Bills. 
And aside from that, it, I feel like it's fun that another team could realistically, like maybe not, uh, you know, I bet you the Bills, Chiefs, and Eagles are probably overwhelming favorite that one of them will win. But like other teams are contenders. They're going to make the playoffs. I feel like it's much better that way. We obviously know like NBA, the super team, like there's only four teams every year that you know have a chance to win the title. Uh, it's just like, I, I personally, I think like every, I don't know, recently, but after like five or six weeks, there were stats that this had been the most games in the fourth quarter that were within one score of any season, like close games. You might, you could argue the quality of play is worse, but I'm not sure if there's stats that actually back that up. Um, aside from that, the one I saw was that scoring is actually down by like 5% this year. Uh, which I think is probably negligible. Uh, but I haven't found that games have been worse. I feel like we've had a lot of great endings. And every week, every season, there are going to be games with ugly football. Like, we get the Jaguars-Broncos every year. We get, you know. Yeah, but we've had that every single week of the season because none of these teams are good and none of these teams are coached well. And the quarterback play overall is horrific. Yeah, so that may be so for certain games, like you're getting Commanders, Bears, but I would still enjoy, I still enjoy watching a game like that that's tied in the fourth quarter than a, than a 27 to three game in the fourth quarter, even if one of the teams is just good. Uh, like, you know, a game like last night, Bengals, Browns, although it didn't go the way you probably thought it was. But no, that no, that was one of my was... picks against the spread. It did not go the way I thought it was going to go. Yeah, that wasn't like even so even with an upset it just wasn't a fun game to watch because it wasn't close i prefer to watch commanders steelers if it's going to be tied in the fourth quarter that to me is still enjoyable i want to flesh this out after we talk about the giants but you mentioned that the nba that this you know that there are four teams that have a chance i think this year's actually it's more than that but also the NBA is – the level of play across the league is so much better than it has been in – you know, it's better than it's ever been basically. And you can't say the same about the NFL. We'll flush that out in a second. But I want to focus on the Giants to start, right? So 6-2 and two, heading into the bye. Uh, all the vibes seem to be good. It was Sunday's loss in Seattle. Did that damper any of the vibes? Are they – are you, the vibes still high? Like – Where's your head at right now with this team? Obviously, you're surprised, pleasantly surprised. Yeah, so I'll say going into the Seattle game, I, and I've maintained this throughout, like I, I don't think or I haven't thought as the wins have piled up that the Giants are like morphing into contenders right before our eyes. There are just – have they made the plays to win the game? Yes, and they deserve all the credit for that for sure. Um, but just like the overall stats, the advanced stats, the, the, some, you know, the turnovers, fumble recovers, I think before going to the Seattle game, the giants had recovered like 90% of fumbles in games, which is obviously going to regress to the mean. And then you get to right. Seattle and they even got that one unlocking at the two yard on. You're like, this is like happening again. But then, you know, Richie James fumbles two punt returns. Like, just like stuff like that has just gone. The Giants have run perfect in like every fourth quarter this season, aside from Dallas. So I, I wasn't thinking like six and two, we're going to go 12 and, you know, 13 and four. We're, we're going to go into the champion. Like the Giants are in win now mode. Never thought that. 
So I wouldn't say the loss dampered my expectations. Uh, I thought they had a really good chance to lose that game at Seattle. And um, it's just like, it kind of, if anything, just like all it did was really end the, the kind of four week, five weeks of just riding high, like, and just like, I can't believe they won again. And kind of all the concerns that we had about the team, you know, going to the season and, even the first, while they were six and two, like there were things that weren't great, and those manifested themselves. You know, passing right. game isn't great, rushing defense. So no, I would say you know it's the classic. You know, if you told me in September they'd be six and two, obviously I would sign up for that. Uh, if they lose to Houston, they lose to Detroit, one of the next two games after the bye week. Goldie, calm down. That would be pretty disappointing. Uh, but the Seattle one, not so much. Yeah, I think we're in agreement on this because it probably wasn't sustainable, you know, winning all those close games because just teams don't do that, right? You can't just win all these close games without having a hiccup. And even though that I thought that they were thoroughly outplayed in the Seattle game, uh, they they did work. I should say they were in a position to win, right, or at least come back to tie it. And then it was tied in the fourth quarter, like the right. game was and then, tied. So. You know they give up the Lockett touchdown, and Lockett was due. And then you know James fumbles again, and as you mentioned, you know a couple of minutes before, you know the turnover luck and and the fumble luck basically regressed to the mean in a big way uh, for the Giants on Sunday. But even though they were outplayed, like. It was kind of defensible after the last month, but overall, I mean, yeah, go ahead. They also came into that game missing Evan Neal right tackle, Ben Bredesen left guard. So now you're down two linemen in a place like at Seattle. That's not the easiest place to play. So it was just like a lot of chips were stacked against them. Uh, And even like you said, the Tyler Lockett scored, like we all, we saw him drop basically the same play a quarter earlier that should have been a touchdown. And again, at that point, you're like, the Giants luck is just like not running out. Like Lockett right. fumbled at the two, Lockett drops a wide open touchdown, but then it just, the fourth quarter, kind of a lot of things hit that you're like, all right, this was going to happen. We're going to speak positively. Brian Dable, he has to be the coach of the year if the award was given right now, correct? Correct. I mean, he, you, you've been waxing poetically about him. I've been waxing poetically about him. It's just, even in a game where they don't look good, and we'll get to Daniel Jones in a second, like, you still have faith that the play calling is going to be good and that they're going to at least try and do smart things, no? Yes, and um, that was, uh, maybe that was after we spoke, after week one. You know, I was I I came into the season expecting the Giants to lose a lot of high-scoring games, and it turns out they've won a lot of low-scoring games. Um, but I, I expected to see a lot of like crossing routes and just people open. And the first couple of weeks, we didn't see it so much, and I was I was I thought I was just like kind of wrong there. I was surprised, but then we've definitely seen that type of offense. That after that, just. And that's how these players who aren't good are like scrubbing together enough yards and drives and points to like win games 23 17 because Dable and Kafka like scheme these guys open for a guy like Richie James, who was the leading receiver on the team going into the last week. Um, not that he's having a good year, but like 
functional enough where, you know, Marcus Johnson or Richie James, uh, we've seen Wandell the last few weeks, are at least able to get open and get catches in space and get, you know, Bellinger had a bunch of catches. Uh, and then even who also didn't play on Sunday because who are right. he was, the, he eye the, week third, right. the third, uh, the third offensive starter to play. Uh, and I definitely can empathize with him for uh, an orbital eye injury. Um, but you're just like, also what in the red zone, the last several years, the giants red zone offense has just been so bad. And then this year, I just, it, it's been good. I actually, I, I probably should have looked it up. I wonder where they uh, rank. But, like, I have confidence that they're going to score a touchdown. And it's, you know, double reverse Bellinger run. It's Wondell Robinson, you know, pick play at the goal line for a touchdown. It's, uh, you know, Saquon's getting in running. Uh, Jones running. So, they've just he, – he definitely I, – I was very high on him coming in. He, and he's been – that's why I just, I can't – I can't wait till they actually get some, like, receivers. And then you could see a real team. Because I really don't think – they're calling a game like they want to. If you look at any metric that's like right. pass rate over expectation, pass attempts, whatever, the Chiefs and Bills, I get that they have Allen Mahomes, but they're the top two teams and they have been. And you just know that's where Dable and Kafka came from and that's what they want to do. They just can't. And it, you so have let me to ask, Hold on them. one second. Let me ask you a two-part question. And we're going to get to the larger, larger point uh, about Daniel Jones in a second. But is that a product of Daniel Jones – and having faith in him, or is it a product of the skill players that are on the team? And if it's number two, then given that they're six and two, were you disappointed that they didn't do anything at the trade deadline to address the skill position? I am inclined to say it's number two, although, you know, until you actually have those guys, you can't know for sure. But I, I do think they want to be a pass heavy team. And I think they've put a lot on Jones's plate for running and, and otherwise. And it seems like they've kind of almost grown uh, in their liking of him as the season has gone on. So I think it's too, I, I don't know for sure, but, um, and then the second part what was the second part. And if so, Oh, was I disappointed? Uh, no, I was not disappointed. Um, you know, in a scenario that obviously ended up, being not realistic if the Giants could have traded a fourth for Judy or a fourth for Claypool I probably would have been okay with that and, and been happy with that but then Claypool for a second I'm not doing that that's what he went for uh you assume that's what Judy kind of would have gone for um I I you know I it's it's, it's tough because in the you're gonna be like you should, you know, the Giants are still what they are. This is don't go crazy because they're six and two. Don't give up future assets just to win now. But if you traded for a guy like Claypool who has two years left, like you're not just trading to hopefully have a good season. Like you then have a receiver next year also who's yeah. probably better than like your fourth round pick. But a second round pick is a little high. Um, and, you know, I, I would have done it for Jerry do Judy, by the way. A second? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about that. Because I also think I, – I just bet on the pedigree of the Alabama receivers. And he was awesome in college. And he's had a weird situation in Denver. Um, we'll get to them at the yeah, end. Yeah, but to that I would say there's probably an Alabama receiver in the first or second round this year who you could draft and have five years of. But I, 
Yeah, but you know what? At a certain point, you just have to like – you haven't been in the playoffs in a while. Just just go. You know, yeah. I, I, I don't – I don't think a second round pick, like you're not, yeah, a second round pick is nice, but fine. Just like, just do it. Sometimes you have to just treat your fans, yeah. just do it. I maybe for like a DJ Moore type who's more established. Uh, Claypool, I honestly thought that he, he went for way too high of a pick. Um, but also, I, I, you know, I'm on the mindset of, I'm not thinking of, I don't just think about picks as like, who could they draft in the second round or fourth round? Just having picks as assets is valuable. If the Giants decide they want to trade up to 13, they're probably going to have to give up a second-round pick along with other things. And to have yeah, that but, is important. But I think, that, I think they had the draft capital at their disposal you always that want they could. Nah, you always want more draft pick. They traded Tony for a three and a seven. Like Now they have two-thirds. They'll have a couple six. They'll have a few sevens. Maybe that's probably it. Um, but you just – I'm on the mindset – I also I trust Shane. I trust Abel. I have no reason to go against their line of thinking. And I'm definitely I I was not to answer the question. I was not disappointed they didn't get uh, anyone. I was slightly disappointed. I would have loved Jerry Judy in New York. I think his talent and his age would have fit. But you like that uh, Judy wears a Star of David necklace. Well, that too. Um, That him and Kyrie could. uh, Go to games together. Yeah, we're we're done talking about that buffoon. I already did it in the monologue. But okay, the, fine. Uh, so so the Giants, uh, we talked about Brian Dable. Um, but besides him, what has been the most impressive thing about the start? Uh, if he had to pick the defense overall, Saquon Barkley looking like the best running back in football, or is it something else? I would say the secondary being good is probably the biggest surprise. Defense overall, like it's it's interesting. The run defense has actually been, I think, their league worst yards per carry allowed. And it's not as if the pass rush has been this like overwhelming thing. Uh, Thibodeau obviously was hurt at the beginning, and Ojulari has been hurt. Um, but so the defense overall has been fine. The secondary, which I thought was going to be really bad, has been, like, pretty solid, actually. Adoree Jackson, uh, when we spoke preseason, I remember saying, like, Yeah, you were down on the secondary. I I said, is he a top 20 cornerback in the NFL? Like, probably not. This year, he definitely has been. Jordan Uh, Love has been great in the secondary, too. uh, Julian Love. Oh, he's – so he would be – uh, yeah, you're talking about uh, Rogers' backup. Yeah, Julian um, Love. I'm sorry, yeah, Jordan Love. Yeah, Julian, Julian Love, Love is is one of a few guys who I would like the Giants to try to uh, lock up or give an extension, like even before the season ends. Uh, he's actually a, a free agent after the season, um, but there's a few other guys who are not free agents, but you can start to sign them, like Andrew Thomas, uh, Dexter Lawrence, who you you just want to lock up kind of long term. Uh, but Love would definitely be under there. The uh, the Saquon I can't say is the biggest surprise because I told you he was going to have an amazing season. He's been very very good, uh, but I can't say it's the biggest surprise. Um, I think I think I'm going to go with the secondary. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I just after all the injuries, and I would probably agree with you that it's the defense overall. I think Kayvon Thibodeau has come along. 
he didn't have a great game on Sunday, but he's had, you know, he's had moments. I'm still salty about the Micah Parsons thing, but whatever. He's he's had moments. The, the secondary's been a lot better than expected. But just after all the injuries and after seeing how he looked last year when he played, like Barkley being as good as we thought he could be, especially after his rookie year, like that to me is is ultra surprising. I mean, just really ultra surprising. And uh, and I guess, you know, a part of that has to do with the offensive line. I mean, Andrew Thomas has been great. You know, Neil, when he's played, he's had, you know, moments. It's Better just, run blocker than pass blocker at this yes. stage. And it's just, it's just like, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do in the offseason with those guys. And the guy that we're going to talk about right now, Daniel Jones. Um, obviously Sunday didn't go great. Uh, I don't want that to damper what he's done for the season so far, because that wouldn't be very fair. Where are you at with Daniel Jones right now? And what do you think the Giants should do? And what do you think they will do in the off season if things progress like they have been so far. Yes, so that's it's a tough one because it's 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 obviously the number one like topic and thing to think about for the Giants after this season. Um, and just while it's still in my head, also about the secondary, the ironic thing is is they have one interception on the season, which is insane. They're on pace for two interceptions as the defense for an entire season. Uh, which is crazy. Um, Jones has definitely, I think we could all agree, he's been better than expected this year. Um, you're not seeing like passing numbers, but we've discussed kind of the reasons for that already. It's a really tough one because it also goes hand in hand with Saquon, and they right. both have well, to be. Because one in the of them is going to get the here. franchise tag. So who's it going to be? You would have to think that. Correct. Um, the other thing is, like, you know, we're only halfway done with the season. A lot can happen. But one of them gets the franchise tag. You would like to, uh, you know, the running back tag number is a lot lower than the quarterback tag number. At the same time, or additionally, you know, it might not be the worst idea to keep Saquon or a running back, you know, only committing to them for one year at a time. You know, I don't want to give Saquon a four-year, five-year, $80 million extension, you know, and then he his contract is an albatross. Like, look at Christian McCaffrey, who's just traded. Uh, Saquon, you know, gets injured or slows down after year two, and now you're saddled with it. So I think I would give him the franchise tag, you know, whatever it is, $14 million one year. Like, you can probably handle that. Um, now, would it be a better outcome, I think, if you get him for two, three years? At 15 per, 13 per, you know, three-year, 39 million with 28 guaranteed. You know, would he take that? I don't know. I guess I would do that for the Giants. Then you're left with Jones. There is also, you know, it's I don't think it's used too often at all, but there is a transition tag, which is like similar, but doesn't quite have the same attributes to it as the franchise tag. So I wonder if that's even in play. For Jones, I think 
you know, a franchise tag for a quarterback is like, you know, 30, especially these days. It's a, a lot, lot of money. money. $30 million to start, which is ridiculous. I, I, I might even be like, I don't know if they're willing to do that. Um, and so the question is like, is, is it really in Jones's best interest to go to another team for more money to learn now a fourth new offense in four years, like after he's just had his best season with this coach, like, you know, do you try to get Jones on a two year, $50 million contract, which sounds crazy, but like, it's probably ends up being like, you know, the 10th or 12th highest paid quarterback. You're only in for two years. Thing then you know that after two years, you know, but you hope in the next over the next one or two years, you get a number one receiver, you get a, a tight end, you get more linemen. And now you have a year and change to see can he actually be a 280 yard pass or 300 yards with actual players, which by the way, his rookie year, you know, his weapons weren't even great. He had multiple games of 300 yards and four touchdowns. Like it, it is in, he has done it before. So I think, you know, one Jones and Saquon, I really do feel like one depends on the other. So it's really hard to guess one because there's so many possibilities, but I think for my ideal outcome is you franchise tag Saquon and you some and you get Jones back on a, a two or three year deal where the third year maybe is like a team option or something. And, you know, because I, I also I'm not, you know, he's having a good year better than expected. I like rooting for him. He does good things on the field. But am I confident to give him a four year, hundred million dollar contract? No, obviously not. No chance. No way. Can't. Can't. No, you I- can't. Not at this point. I would, and I was listening to Danny Heifetz from The Ringer, and I kind of agree with him. I actually think that they're very comfortable letting Jones walk and then just being like starting from scratch. Even even if the Giants somehow win 10 games and make the playoffs. That, that I, would not surprise me whatsoever. I think, I think that's the way – that it's going to play out. I don't think that they're going to franchise tag him. I think they're going to try and franchise tag Barkley. Um, I would personally do the three-year deal, or at least pitch it to Barkley first. And even if you have to guarantee 95% of it, I would do that first and then figure out the Jones thing. But that's how I see it breaking breaking down in the offseason. Again, assuming that they play even 500 ball, the rest of the way because that's going to get them into the playoffs. So actually let's, let's start right there. Right? So besides for the Eagles, realistically, given the NFC, how many teams right now are better than the giants? In the NFC, uh, I think San Francisco, I could say pretty confidently. Okay. Um, it, it pains me to say Dallas, because I just think it's a terrible matchup for the giants. And, um, you know, in the South, I, I, it's so hard to not say Tampa, um, but, you know. I, I, I don't know. I think they're better they than Tampa on a neutral field right now. Yeah. Giants versus Brady playoff game to end his career. You know, I'm not sure he can handle that. Um, and then in the North, you know, Minnesota, they're 6-1. and one. I feel like they're good, but I also – feel like they are never on national TV and I haven't seen any of their games. Uh, I guess they had a London game against the Saints, but that doesn't, that's like a weird London game. 
Um, Guess who doesn't think Minnesota is better than the Giants right now? Me. Who? Yeah. Well, you you hate Kirk Cousins. Uh, Okay. What what has Kirk Cousins done to to you know make you believe? KJ Osborne would be the Giants' number one receiver. Uh, Now they got TJ Hawkinson, and um, we also get a Kirk Cousins uh, at Washington revenge game this week. Wow! So they beat up on the Commanders. I actually like the Commanders with the points, but whatever. That's just that's just me. Um, I I guess my point. Yeah, yeah. San Francisco is is the only. Definitely, uh, and Dallas. I would say those two. Could could you at least see them splitting with Dallas this year? Like it wouldn't shock me. Oh, I pray they beat Dallas on Thanksgiving. That would make my season. It would be it would be pretty nice, but you know it, that that's going to be a tough game for them. But I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Which so okay so. Forecasting to the end of the year before we look at the NFL at large um, and where we were right and where we were wrong in our preview, how do you think the Giants finish the year? And are they a playoff team? Oh, man, it's crazy to say this, but like, you know, wild. As of last absolutely week, wild. As of last, going into the Seattle game, the Giants, I think, were like minus 190 to make the playoffs or even 200, uh, maybe 190. So if they don't make it at this point, that would mean probably that they ended up losing, you know, a few games that they probably should not have lost, which would not surprise me because they don't have many good players. Like I have to keep saying that like the giants aren't a good team despite their record. Um, so if they play Dow- uh, Houston and Detroit after the bye. That's two. Let's, let's, you know, let's give them two wins for that. Eight and two, they play Dallas. I know we just, just said, we hope they win. I'll give them a loss. Even eight and three. Washington nine and three, Philly nine and four, Washington ten and four. Then you finish with Vikings, Colts, Eagles. I mean, could they lose to the Colts? Obviously, they could lose to the Colts. Let's say they go one and two. That's ten and seven. So let's say you know, ten and seven. That's how I say they end up. Uh, they get in as the seven seed, which means they play the two seed, which is probably San Francisco. You're going to San Francisco. And uh, probably well, could, getting there. The two seed could be your Minnesota Vikings. That would probably be ideal. I would much rather. I feel well, I'm yes. more comfortable going to Minnesota. I would do that too. I think even if they finish nine and eight, I think nine and eight gets you into the playoffs this year. Now, is that is them finishing nine and eight this year good for the long term betterment of the franchise? You could yes. debate that. Uh, what's the nine and eight versus what eight and nine? Well, not just that. I was just talking about for them being terrible, but oh. you, can, you can debate uh, that. Uh, I mean, I'll take a playoff game. But I think they're going to make the playoffs. I think you know, they're going like, to finish 9-8 and eight or 10-7. and seven. I think they're going to make the playoffs, as crazy I, I as wonder, that sounds. I wonder, if the, is there a chance they end up like tied with Seattle for the seventh seed and miss out because they lost? I guess well, that's possible. Count, count them out. I'm not sure. The North isn't getting two teams. The South isn't getting two teams. Right. So the West will get two, maybe three. Like, you know, who knows what the Rams end up doing. Dallas is going to get in. I can see it being four, five, six. Yeah, Giants and Seattle, both nine and eight. Giants are out. Well, I think they're going to – 
Yeah, that would be six, a shame. Six and think, one to nine and eight would not be a fun thing. I think if they some if they get to nine and eight, I think they're going to make the playoffs. I just don't think the way the NFC is, and we'll talk about the NFC and the AFC as a whole, the league as a whole in a second, but I just think if they somehow end up above 500, I think they're going to get in. I do. Shout out to Goldie. All right, so that's going to be part one with Shai Elberger. We're going to divide it up into a second part in just a, se- in just a minute, uh, talking about the league at, at up. Talking about the league as a whole, and we'll get to him in just a matter of moments. Okay, so we're back. Shai Elberger's back. We're going to talk about the NFL at large. We kind of opened up the episode, or I should say the segment, talking about the NFL at large. But realistically, how many good teams are there in the league right now? I know we mentioned three. Is there anyone who can at least be considered good? Going into uh, the uh, into week nine right now, the thing with with football and that question is any team I name, you can find a game where they looked like shit or got killed by a bat. Like I want to say the Bengals, but they just lost by twenty to the Browns, who we know aren't good. Um, no, they don't have Jamar Chase, so maybe that's not fair. You know, fully healthy Bengals last year at this time, I think they were like. They were, I think they were like five and five or something, you know, and they end up getting to the Super Bowl. But I think I can say the Bengals are good. I can say Dallas is good. I can say Minnesota is good. That's three more. Um, I mean, they're not what they're not good. They're six and one. They're not great, but they're good. I'm not sure they're good. Uh, the Chargers at this point, like how do we just keep saying the Chargers or are we just like – No, we don't say the good. Chargers are good because they're not good. <laughs> They've had yeah, just every year just seems like horrible injuries to their best players. Um, who uh, The Dolphins, I think you can say, are good. Yeah, I would count the Dolphins as good. My boy, Mike McDaniel. Um, how about that? I don't know if you saw that graphic with uh, the other trades Miami did today. They essentially turn Trey Lance into oh yeah into Tyree Kill, Tyree Kill, Waddle, and Bradley, and Bradley Chubb. Chubb. Yep. So I would say those are some good trades. Yeah. Um, Miami's good. Uh, yeah, I mean Baltimore. Baltimore is good. Oh, by the way, hold on about the Dolphins. The funniest thing about that pick that led to Trey Lance was that was the pick that they got. Um, when uh, who's oh the offensive lineman who took the picture with the gas mask, La Tunsil. Yeah, Jeremy Tunsil because he was basically smoking tons of weed out of a gas mask that led to that pick, which then led to all this other stuff. Incredible. Yeah, so I think aside from the three super teams, I can name like six other good teams, um, but that's nine, and there's fourteen playoff teams, so you can do the math. That's that's not a great place to be. So I mentioned it, that the quarterback play is terrible overall this year. I mean, look at the landscape of the league. Obviously, Allen and Mahomes are on a whole different level. I think Joe Burrow right now would probably be the third best quarterback. I think he's really good. I would say people were dumping on Tua, and I've always been a Tua believer. I think Tua is one of the seven or eight best quarterbacks in football right now. Why do you think that quarterback play in the league right now is 
is as bad as it's been in a long time? Um, it's hard to say. We may just be in a time where we had a lot of these greats carrying for so long. Um, and now, you know, Brady, who has been counting, you know, for the last 20 years, he's not having a good season. Rogers, not having a good season. Uh, Herbert, I think people were hoping for a step up. It's been, you know, maybe the same, maybe a little worse even. Um, and then, I, I, you know, every year there's bad quarterbacks. I think it's also just a thing where you're watching them now every week, so you're, so you're thinking about it. But every year, the bottom 10 quarterbacks of the NFL suck. You know, I mean, the Giants but literally started. this year started... it seems like it's the bottom 20. It seems like two-thirds of the league, you know, the starting quarterbacks are bad. Like, objectively yeah, I mean, bad. Kyler's having, a, uh, you know, not a great season. The Saints, right, so you have Breeze. He's another one. He's gone. Um, I think we're just like in this, maybe this, this, this little, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of transition where you still have Mahomes, you have Allen, you have Lamar. Now you have Hurts. Is Lamar, Lamar, uh, is Lamar really that good either? Like, yeah. He, all yep, things considered, him in there. I think, yeah, he's <laughs> upper echelon, but like, he's not as like, I guess it's because everybody puts him in the same class as Mahomes and Allen. And I just push yeah, back. Yeah. Burrow. Um, and then like, yeah, I mean the NFC though, it's like, it's hurts and I like, who is the second best quarterback? Like, is it Geno Smith? So, so far, yeah, no question. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, we're we're at a weird thing. We, the only perennial pro bowlers, it seems like are Allen and Mahomes, whereas for so many years we had, you know, Brady, Breeze, Peyton, Rivers, Roethlisberger, Rogers, uh, all those guys for so long. And so now we just, there's a lot of young ones. Uh, I feel like the last few years, there's been a ton of early draft pick quarterbacks that haven't become stars yet. Uh, you know, the same draft, you had, the top four were Lawrence, Lance, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones. You know, this is year two. You know, normally sometimes three of these guys are already like amazing. You had Burrow, you had Herbert, uh, Mahomes, took Allen a few years, but like none of those four from last year so far, you're like, you're not really convinced of any of them. So I just, maybe the last couple of Hertz, I guess Hertz has been a good one, but you know, does it, what's the trickle down from like college? It seems like the ones that have been drafted recently high have not become very quick stars. Like maybe the years prior. It just seems like these QBs with the QB camps and you know, college getting more sophisticated and the NFL adopting so much of the uh, the college schemes that you would think they'd be as prepared as possible, right? That they'd be more prepared to excel in the next level than ever before. And for some reason, it's just not happening. Uh, I still have hope for Trevor Lawrence. I guess I'm just going to go down with the ship with this one because I just bet on the pedigree but I kind of felt the same way about Tua, right? Like Tua had the pedigree in college. He had the pedigree going into college, right? Where if this guy's as good as everybody's saying he's going to be, like it's going to have to come at some point. And yeah, Tua got an offensive-minded head coach. Yeah, I'm like, I'm still not convinced on Tua. Just from watching him, nothing he does really wows me. 
Uh, he's, oh, he's, he's very accurate. accurate with the ball. He's very, very accurate. And I think that's the most important thing in this offense. They did an incredible job of giving him Tyree yeah. Kill and Jalen Waddell. And if you're Gisicki's accurate. Gesicki's good. Gesicki's good. But it's it's Waddell and Tyreek. Like, he watched this yeah, game last course. week. Granted, at the Lions, it's like every play was 13 yards to Waddle, 21 yards to Tyreek, 9 yards to Waddle, 18 yards to Tyreek. Well, look at the game against the Ravens, that second yeah, half. Yeah, right. It goes absolutely bonkers. Uh, so it's just like it's hard to know. Like, is he actually really good or is he just really accurate playing on a great team that benefits from a really accurate quarterback? Well, you Which... know why I tell you he's good? Because in his last 13 starts, he's 11-2. and two. They didn't always have I mean, Tyreek yeah. and Jalen Waddle. Daniel Jones had that, you know, eight and three in his last eleven before last week. But I, I, that's, but I don't, and I don't say that like, well, it's it's Waddle and Tyreek to like diminish what they've done. If you can have success as a team at an offense without a Mahomes and Allen, you deserve more credit. Like, good for you. There are only two Mahomes and Allens in the league. Right. Chances are you're going to have to win with not one of those guys. Um, Which so is, by the I, way, I what I've credit. argued about when the Lamar contract comes up, when they talk about, you know, the next guy always sets the market. I was just – given that it's a hard cap sport, at a certain point I've made the case that the Ravens, if Lamar is going to want Mahomes and Josh Allen money – or I should say Deshaun Watson money, which is a ridiculous contract, that the Ravens are better off just letting him walk because he's not Mahomes or Allen. And those are the only guys who deserve that portion of the salary cap. Well, then what do they do, though? Like You just start again. Doing? You start again. There's no reason why, why you should have to hamstring yourself and handcuff yourself given the way the cap works in the NFL. I just uh, – The reason is, you know, you sign him to whatever, and every year the cap goes up, and three years from now he's actually underpaid, and you've had a good quarterback this whole time. While, you know, the rest – you don't trade a second for Roquan Smith to then start over with 30th pick. This is – I, I would be shocked if Lamar left. No, I'd be shocked too. I just – you know, I wouldn't – at a certain point, if I'm the ownership group or the general manager there, I have to draw the line. But all right, so here's what you do. Here's what you do. You trade Lamar for Aaron Rodgers, bring Rodgers to Baltimore. Lamar goes to the Packers. He can just run around. Rodgers goes to the Ravens, wins the Super Bowl. There you go. Well, that'd be that'd be pretty interesting. Um, so okay, the, we just talked a lot about the quarterback play, but to me, even you know, worse than the quarterback play is the, is the coaching. Week in and week out, the coaches do just dumb, dumb things. Uh, you can credit or discredit, quote-unquote, analytics for this. It's just – or it's just, you know, sheer stupidity. Like, what is it? Why, why is the coaching worse this year than ever before? Um, uh, just another thing where I feel like – it's possible that it, that's just in our head and it's not actually true. But I, I understand your point because, I, you know, we both watch Red Zone, so we see all these crazy just, like, decisions that don't seem to make any sense. I, th I, I can't explain it. Um, it's, it's a chance – there's a chance, you know, the analytics 
uh, push has like maybe sometimes gone too far or it's like, you know, the number says, if you do this, you have a, you know, 1% chance better of winning. Okay. But if you just kick the field goal, you know, you're up nine with like three minutes left, like just kick the field goal and go up by nine. Um, and, uh, you know, timeouts, I don't know. Coaches just have too much on their mind. They're not thinking about certain things. Um, I think a lot of times the decision made earlier in the game, if it fails, that influences your decision later. So, you know, I don't know if that, that's people, you know, people just in general have, uh, you know, sways our decision-making if they've, you know, done the wrong thing earlier in the game. I, I, maybe the wrong people are getting hired. Like why was Nathaniel Hackett hired? I don't know. Maybe a year from now, two years from now, I'll, I'll look stupid saying that, but like he doesn't, I don't, you know, he was so highly respected as an offensive mind, too. Right. And, uh, you know, part of me thinks he was hired to help them lure Rodgers away, and then that did not work out. But I guess there's just so many examples, and it probably won't end anytime soon, of good assistants that are just not good head coaches. Um, you know, he could, you know, we've seen a million examples of that. You know, Todd Bowles, I think, is probably a really good defensive coordinator. And probably not such a good head coach. Nathaniel Hackett, same deal. Um, you know, Jason Garrett. I don't even know if he was a good offensive coordinator. Um, we just see that. And I think teams maybe, you know, every time you hire someone, you you hope, you know, this guy is not going to be that guy. And, you know, for the Giants, Brian Dable, I think, you know, so far he's been really good. Of course, we all were very high on Joe Judge after year one, you know, and he didn't even last – till year three um Matt could do good OC with the Giants not a good head coach so I don't know what what actually contributes to the current group of coaches um I think also like a guy like Belichick who for the you know he's obviously like number one but the Patriots aren't so good so does that diminish him um you know Sean Payton is I don't think Belichick if you if you ask Patriots fans this year and again they're spoiled they've been spoiled rotten for twenty years but they would say that Belichick hasn't had a good year coaching the team. Right, right, yeah, no, that's that's true. So um, I don't know, I, I don't I don't have a good answer for that one. Good thing the Giants have one of the better ones. Yeah, it's it's a breath of fresh air. I mean, you know, a guy I know, uh, I think you know him too. This guy, you give him credit, Josh Shotskis. Uh, talks about how every roster in the NFL is geared to go four and four in their first four games. And then what happens from there is all dependent on the head coach. And I guess he's been proven right in this respect, especially this year. But I just don't understand how the league can evolve. And yet it seems like the coaching is just getting worse with, you know, in-game decisions that you would think that they would have down pat by now, but it's just, it's just wild to me, but all right. So the real reason I wanted to have you on besides for the giants was to talk about our preseason predictions and where we were right and where we were wrong. So I'm going to start with you, which is your biggest preseason prediction win that you made on this podcast? What are you going to take uh, the most credit for? I mean, first of all, if you think I remember all of my predictions, uh, the ones I do remember uh, is I remember taking the Lions under 
everyone was really hyped on them coming off of hard knocks. Love Dan Campbell. And I just, I remember saying like, that might be true, but I feel like every year the team on hard knocks, people get excited for And the bottom line is I can only name two players on the lines. Uh, whatever, more than that. But literally can't name more than one guy on defense. Turns out they have the worst defense in the NFL. And Jared Goff is their quarterback. So, like, what did you expect? Yeah, I guess they score a lot of games, but, like, I mean, score a lot of points. I don't What are they now, one and six? Um, Not great. They, that one I feel like I was – and so many people were, like, very high on the lines going into the season. Uh, so I was right on that one. Um, I think my annual Vikings pick is looking pretty good. They're six and one. I thought uh, that's what you were going to start out with. You, yeah, you're always a big Vikings guy. Yeah, and uh, it's – I mean, I just – I I I thought their defense was – oh, that's why. It's the, the coaching changes. Coaching upgrades, if done correctly, provide such a big difference. And, you know, we're seeing it obviously up close here. Going from Joe Judge to Dable is like the biggest delta you could have. But I think going from Mike Zimmer – to Stefanski is also a very big upgrade and their defense got better. I think it was just, it was really bad last year and uh, there were one. And then um, are we doing the wrong ones or is that the next question? Well, yeah. Cause I was going to start I, with one of the ones I got right. I was so anti the new Orleans saints going into the year. I don't know. Everybody was blowing smoke up the saints but about, you know, they have this great overall roster. And I was just like, eh, like, I, I don't see it. Like, Jameis Winston is their starter. Like, I don't know what's going on here. I thought the Saints were going to be very bad. Um, and it, that seems to look good. And I said the Steelers were going to be bad. You were high on the Steelers. Um, so those will be my two wins because I was wrong on a lot of stuff. Yeah, my uh, um, by the way, for the Saints, funny, uh, you know, no one, no one mentioned last week against the Raiders. Dennis Allen revenge game. Saints coach twenty four zero shuts them out. Um, I was wrong on the Steelers, much like the Vikings. I annually take the Steelers to go uh, do better than people think, and uh, that has not uh, taken place. Um, they're two and six. I don't know whose fault. I guess it's the, I guess I'm not really, I don't, you know, we don't watch Steelers games and I haven't really been on TV. It seems like poor quarterback play, poor offense of everything. And, and TJ Watt loss was huge. Uh, oh, and that's funny thing is, is that I think after week one, when we spoke, I was like touting that pick because they had beaten the Bengals in Cincy week one. Yeah. And yes. uh, now we're two and six. Um Another one I got wrong. I feel like we both had the Eagles. That seemed really obvious. Yes. I can't um, count that as a win because oh, I, we kind of picked the Eagles by default. Yeah. One I definitely was wrong on was Denver. I was pretty high on Denver. I did not I was kind of high think, on Denver too. I did not think Russell Wilson was was done. And I, you know, I thought Denver had a really good team and they were just missing a quarterback. And going from Drew Locke to Russell Wilson was such an enormous upgrade. Um, now, we knew the division was going to be tough, so we weren't saying, like, you know, 12 wins. But Denver has not been good. Um, just traded Chubb. You know, Wilson's been horrible. Javante's out for the year. And the coach blows. So, I think Denver and uh, Pittsburgh would be two of my losses. 
My losses, the New York teams. I had the under on both. I actually think the under on the Jets is still possible, um, under five and a half because of the way uh, they're going, uh, or at least trending. But I was under on the Giants. I thought Seattle was going to be horrific. They're obviously right, not yeah. horrific. We both did. Um, we thought that Tampa was going to be really good. We also thought that the Rams were going to win 10 games, and that's not looking right. likely either. So this has been a very strange, strange season in terms of you know, predictions. Because I know you with- say every year that there's going to be playoff teams that are going to fall yep. out and that there are going to be non-playoff teams that are going to emerge as playoff teams. But this year it seems like the turnover – projects to be higher than in years past it's uh you know it is within the range of outcomes that the giants seahawks and falcons make the playoffs this year um the uh preseason projections um, had those three teams as like three of the worst teams in the league right the um i feel like i was gonna say something uh, one quick random thing, just, uh, just I just popped that to my head. We didn't talk about, um, we don't have to talk for more than a minute, is just Kadarius Tony getting traded in terms oh, of yeah. biggest surprise. In terms of biggest surprises, I, you Your know, boy. I knew we knew he had the, all these injuries last year. Kim stay on the field, heading into the season, he was healthy, although he didn't play in the preseason because he got injured. Um, you know, I really was hoping for, I can't, I don't know if I was expecting, but really hoping for him to do some special things this year. And it's just a real shame. He, he didn't get on the field. I don't blame them for trading him. Uh, I assumed that the rate it was going, that they were going to trade him after the season anyway. And, um, just a shame. That's all I'll say. I, I do expect him to do crazy things if he ever gets on the field at Kansas city, which seems like he will. Not if he's, not going to be able to read a playbook and internalize a playbook. I don't yeah, get that. Yeah, I, I get that. Andy Reid will figure out a way to get him on reverses. All he needs is the ball. I'm not saying he's going to even have a good career. I'm just saying there will be highlights that he will produce. All right, let me. right, I'm going to let you go on this one. If you had to pick a team from each conference that's going to you know, make a major move upwards in terms of trajectory, uh which team would you pick from each conference and why? What, for the rest of the season or for yeah, next that, year? That's, that's like, that's going to make, you know, a move up the standings or, you know, show out a little bit more than they've done, have a better okay. second half than a, they were in the first half. Um, give me one team from each conference and why. Hmm. What's San Francisco's record? Are they five and three? Um, I'm inclined to say, you know, the, the obvious one because it's it's so possible is Tampa just because they've been so bad and they have the potential to be good. Like, wouldn't really shock me if Tampa ended up winning like six of their last eight games or something like that. But, you know, I could say Dallas, but they're already six and two. So I guess I'll say San Francisco. I feel like they've been like middling for the first half of the year. A lot of injuries. San Francisco's um, four and four. Four and four. Okay, so I could I could definitely see them ending like, you know, twelve and five, or you know, they got McCaffrey who you know looks amazing already. They had some injuries on defense for a couple games, like when they lost to Atlanta, they were missing a bunch of people. Uh, they're back. I think once they have you know 
if it's Jimmy and then Ayuk and Debo and Kittle and McCaffrey and good defense and good O-line, like I think they're they're the clear number two. And, you know, Eagles-Niners would be an interesting game. Uh, in the yeah. AFC, or you could do NFC. Let me think about AFC. Well, they would be my pick, too. Ah, all right. They would be my AFC. pick, too. If I had to give a secondary one, I guess by default I would do Tampa just because of their um, division. Uh, yeah. Even though my, my Carolina Panthers over six and a half, I thought after this past weekend – there was a point where I was feeling really good about that because they haven't played horrible, but the way they lost that game, uh, shout out <laughs> to the doofus kicker, whatever. I, we ranted about that uh, privately. I don't need to shout out DJ Moore, Marilyn Tarpon. Who can't? It wasn't a penalty, but it, regardless, you're in a dome. Kick a 50 yard field goal. You have no excuse. Okay, what a, that, that's not even the worst one. You missed in overtime, like 30. Yeah, no, I was, I, I was, I was going to get to that. Yeah, 37-yarder, I think. You, like, shanked it. Freaking idiot. Um, but anyway, okay, AFC, so we both like San Francisco and maybe Tampa in the AFC. Who who you AFC, are? Um, but I don't know how the Titans are, again, like running away with the, the division. Like, how are they good? Um. You know, I've won money on the Titans uh, the last couple of weeks. Miami, but like, is their defense good? They just got Chubb though. But is their defense good? Well, I think um, Miami was already good. I think Miami, yeah. Miami's so probably I, I, if you're I, looking at the league, uh, or should I say the AFC, I would say Miami is this. Yeah, so third best team in the conference. Um, I can't say New. I don't think New England. I don't think the Jets. I don't think the Browns. Uh, Steelers, obviously not. Colts, no. Jaguars, no. Texans, no. I guess I these Chargers ones, like, I, I mean, I'll go with the Chargers then. I guess if you get at some point, Keen, Mike Williams is now out for a few weeks, but if you're telling me come you know, December, you have Herbert, Eckler, Keenan, Mike Williams, you know, and defense without Bosa, I could see them. You know, maybe trying to sneak into a seven seed, uh, but I don't really know who else you could choose out in the AFC. My choice for this would be Cincinnati. Um, well, I I thought you would say they're already good. Well, they're four and four, so I'm not sure you can say that they're that okay. they're good. Okay. But Cincinnati's um, okay. So I would say Cincinnati. Yeah. Uh, I'm just I'm out on Denver. The Chargers are snake bit. Um, I can't believe I'm going to do this if I have to pick somebody other than Cincinnati. The oh, Jaguars DVOA suggests that things should should turn around. And because of the division that they're in and the fact that the Titans are not good but are 5-2, and two, I guess if it's not Cincinnati, I would still say the Jaguars, but that feels disgusting to even mention. Yeah, no, that is disgusting. But Calvin Ridley. A great trade for them. Obviously, it's not going to help them this year, but a great trade for them. If my guy Trevor Lawrence is not good next year, then he has no fucking excuse and that he's just bad. Yeah, that was a good trade yeah. for them. Pretty, uh, pretty high, high reward. It'll be interesting. All right, Shy. 
Uh, this was great. Obviously, uh, Giants are on a bye. We will go back and forth about the Giants privately, maybe on this show again soon. Uh, thanks again for doing it, man. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks again to recurring guest Shai Alberger for a great segment talking about all things Giants, the NFL. Great episode with him, like always. One last thing on the Kyrie Irving thing. I noticed it on the broadcast tonight, recording on Tuesday night, that Reggie Miller took the players to task for not speaking out against Kyrie Irving. He said that the league as a whole has a history of players coming out and speaking out against things like this, that players have called other players out when appropriate, and that the silence has been deafening for the players right now. He's disappointed in the players. Good stuff from him. Good stuff from Charles Barkley about it. Anyway, that was just one minor thought I had as we conclude this episode. This is episode 182. For the love of the game, take us out, Trey. Get my drink on, get my smoke on, then go home with something to poke What's on. Locust on for the two triple O. Coming real, it's the next episode. Hold up. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube